The Innovation Collective Podcast, Episode 1. What's in a name? Just a heads up on this podcast, it's a casual conversation, much like the ones we have in our office. So if occasional cuss words offend you, well, you probably won't like us anyway. Welcome to the Innovation Collective Podcast. At Innovation Collective, we are hyper-focused on the future of work, helping people activate their own human capital, and building a worldwide community of people who are creating the future by living out their dreams. In each episode of the Innovation Collective podcast, we'll be talking with those who find themselves at ground zero in our changing economic and social landscape and hear stories about exactly what needs to happen for us to fix community and capitalism again. Please subscribe to Innovation Collective podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Now, here's the founder of Innovation Collective, Nick Smoot. Hey, welcome to the first ever Innovation Collective podcast, which won't be its name, but I'm Nick Smoot. And I'm Chris Cochran. And uh, this is number one, so here we go. You're number one. We are. This is number one. Like, you, listener, you are number one deep down inside. It's funny, this is the first time we've, well, it's the second time technically we've done this, but it's the first time we've ever done a podcast together. Mm, I was on the car cast. Oh, you were? I was on the car cast. So if you don't know this, Chris <laughs> is one of the first podcasters, like probably first 1,000 on the internet, right? 10,000. First 10,000. Yeah. So Chris Cochran was one of the first 10,000 people to ever record a podcast on the internet, which tells you exactly how nerdy he is <laughs> and like how bleeding edge he is because now everyone's doing podcasts just now. So actually, I was probably in one, like the first 15,000 people yeah, to probably, be on yeah. a podcast. Totally. Because yeah. I had 500 guests. So. so take that podcast world. There you go. Yeah, Chris and I have done a show back when I was like 11. Because we've known each other for a really long time. Yep. Yeah, like super long. I've known Chris since I was in middle school. Yeah. Yeah, middle school. And I was just out of high school, so. <laughs> right. And so I'm, you know, we're both 13 now, so it's great. <laughs> awesome. Well tell, me, well, tell us about the podcast. Why are we doing this podcast? And tell us what you hope to accomplish out of this podcast. And give us a little bit of a, a feeling for what people can expect. Yeah, so um, just quick background. I'm Nick Smoot. I already told you about Chris Cochran. And uh, together with a team of people, a long time ago, I had this dream of starting this thing called the Innovation Collective. So I founded this uh, thing. I don't even know what to call it half the time. It's a mix of venture capital and uh, placemaking with real estate development and mixed use and uh, community and education and culture. We, we know it better now and I can describe it better at the end. But that was the goal. And um, now we have like nine cities around the world running this project. And we've been to over 60 cities in, uh, in communities in small town America talking about prosperity and inclusivity and economic transformation. And uh, we've toured buildings all over the countryside of old insane asylums and broken down towns where they're like would you like this and i'm like all right let's talk the place the first conscription ever happened when they instituted the draft during a civil war got to tour that building in, in new york right right things like that things like that so there's all these um things that have come out of innovation collective now as it's become this movement that's happening across the country of people getting together and rethinking how their towns create the knowledge economy and the stories are awesome. Like we have some incredible stories of humans choosing to do interesting things, chasing their dreams, finding a new level of confidence in their ideas. 
and the transformation that happens not only in their lives economically, but also personally, how they transform in their town, their community, their families. And it's not just these 20-year-old, 30-year-old folks in hoodies. This is it's senior citizens. It is men, women. It is disabled people. It is veterans. It's, it's a whole mixed bag. And sometimes the innovations they come up with are just neat. And it's passion projects for them and have some impact on the town or some economic value. And then once in a while, you're like, oh, dear God, you've come up with something that is going to shift a whole industry. And when I say that, I mean that, like changes whole industries. And we've seen these come out of small towns all around the world. So this podcast is going to be stories of those cities, those people, those moments, uh, the experts we bring in from big companies. We've had employees six from Facebook, C-Suite at Johnson & Johnson. We'll have these folks on the podcast alongside it all. And it's really just telling the story of the American Dream Factory. So before we go back, we're going to go back in a minute and talk about the, kind of the history of how we got here. Okay. Before we do, tell us one story that just stands out in your mind as this is the story that sets the stage for mm -hmm. what this has become. And then we'll go back in time. This is kind of like the opening okay. chapter of your, uh, your novel. Okay, and do you want the story from like when it was happening, the first moment where you're like the spark of like amazing divine inspiration, just, or like what it is now? No, I was just looking for the, one of the stories that have come out of this, a person who like you would just say, this story of this human being mm. exemplifies what it is we're trying to accomplish here. Mm, 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 mm. So there is a story I love about Robert. Um, I love it just because it's so non-traditional as an entrepreneur and they're building the product that's hardware with software and they're shipping. And that one is awesome and it feels really good and it's the truth about being scrappy and uh, humanity coming together. And then there's ones like uh, Kenny that have gone on to create things worth lots and lots of money. Start with Robert. Let that, that's that's the, that's so the first know. one. Okay, okay, Robert. So Robert um, is a disabled senior citizen um, who is highly abled, by the way. Don't let him fool you with his disabilities, Robert. <laughs> Um, but he had lost one leg. Now he has lost both. And at the time, he'd been coming to some of these events uh, we have called Coffee and Concepts, which happens twice a month in cities all across the country where people get together and they share their dreams, the things they need help with, what they're working on in the room. Everyone helps each other. It's truly black magic to watch these people create things in front of you and start new companies. And it helps others understand how to do it. But Robert shows up and one day... I was at this meeting in this town and it was great to be there because Robert raises his hand when it comes time for the concepts part and who in the room has a concept they need help with. And Robert says, you know, my parents and Robert, by the way, remember, keep in mind, he's a senior citizen. My parents who are like super senior citizens uh, can't hear each other anymore. And when they speak, they're just angry all the time. And they're thinking about getting divorced. And I believe they're in their 90s. Yeah. And the whole room is like, Wait, yeah. your parents? <laughs> really? Exactly. Like, Robert, your parents? Wait, what? Like, I think half the room was shocked that like his parents were alive. And mm -hmm. like, they, not only are they alive, they're still married. And he's in this moment of like, all right, we got to figure out how to save my parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. And this is like a couple in their 90s. And in the room, everyone's like, well, what's the problem? We start diagnosing it. And people are kicking around solutions, what softwares are out there, what hardwares are out there. And what they come up with is this now patented hardware that listens to a senior citizen's room in space or a home. And it puts the words that are being spoken in the room to, from the specific individual in the room 
to a screen with a color they choose. And so you can pick colors like, Chris, if you wanted to be orange, every time you'd speak, orange words would show up on screens throughout the house. And so you can have multiple screens. And maybe I like pink. And so like when, when Nick speaks, it's pink. Mm-hmm. And you know, you and I could be, we've been friends since we're teenagers. And someday when we're like 140, <laughs> and I thank you, Rapamycin, like we're gonna be sitting somewhere and like I can't hear anymore and you're gonna be mad at me and wanna punch me. And then I, like we, we get the C talk. So it's just a great story of someone who had a real need, who was deeply concerned, was willing to be vulnerable with people around him about mm-hmm. a fear he has, which the fear was my mom and dad are going to get divorced, and this is a senior citizen. And then from that comes an Indiegogo campaign, people building hardware, shipping hardware, developing software. Like a full team of people too, not just like a dude and somebody else. No, and, and young and old alike. And, and like they're building a company to help senior citizens. And now they're talking about installs at senior care facilities. And not only was this you know, something they built as a passion project to solve a real problem, which is how all great innovations typically happen, but now they're looking for other market fit. And it's just a beautiful story of that's what happens when you set the table, right? When you get the people in the room and you say, look, let's help each other. Let's be real, let's be honest. Um, And that's one of my favorite stories from the American Dream Factory called Innovation Collective. So take us back to uh, the the beginnings of this. Where did this idea for these new American Dream Factories come Mm -hmm. from and how did it start? Tell Tell us your story. Yeah, yeah. So for myself, I grew up in small town America and had a belief system that I was here for a purpose. I grew up going to a a small Christian private school. And by the way, Innovation Collective is non-religious, non-political. But from that kind of early upbringing in this Christian church, you're kind of taught that like you have a purpose on this earth, right? And you have a mission and a goal and um, magic can happen around you, miracles. And so I kind of had this ingrained idea that like maybe... Like I could be a part of something bigger and maybe there's this like little spark inside of me. And so I, I really honestly still where I'm at in life, like I'm really confused about a lot of that stuff, but I'm okay with it. What I have learned though, is that in my early years, it set this foundation and a belief system that I have a purpose. I have abilities that might not be only unique to me, but I have them for a reason. I need to use them for the good of others and for myself. And like, that's the best and highest use of me. So like, get out of my way. I'm going to go use those because I got to, uh, I got to do it. Which fast forward led to me working with teenagers, doing the same thing at schools and churches and doing camps. And then eventually rolls into doing entrepreneurship and consulting and then starting my own tech company with some people as an education company. And then a real estate tech company and then an app company and all of them around mobile tech and each time we'd start a company uh, with this one guy and I, we became business partners and we'd start it and sell it, start it and sell it, start it and sell it. And it became a pattern we would do. And at some point, I think after the second company, we kind of looked at each other and had this moment of realization that this isn't normal. Like you shouldn't, most, most people, you should be able to, not you shouldn't, you, but it's not common to sit down, drink a boot of beer with a friend, Decide on three companies you might want to start, test all three, pick one, write on napkins goals you have, and then say, cool, I'll see you in three months, let's go build the company. 
while I go my way and knock out the goals. He goes his way and knock out the goals. We come back together. We have a product we're shipping. And then in two months, we get called by MIT as industry leaders to come speak to a consortium on the, about why we're the industry leaders for the next phase of mobile tech and real estate. And we have VC funds calling us from San Francisco. Didn't raise a penny. And it's a crazy story. And then we're bought you know, eight months into that company. Another time we wrote out like we will partner with Virgin America and like in this hotel brand and then we did that. And and it's like, okay, this is black magic. Like and it's this moment where it creates a new level of confidence. And so that was the experience I was having in my life. Like never like crazy exits, but like good, enjoyable life of like chase your dreams, build it, ship it, sell it. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I was asked to join an economic think tank called the Milken Institute and become one of their young leaders. And there's 300 of us around the world under the age of 40. And it's our job to look at global economic policy and kind of come up with you know our thoughts once in a while. We get to be a part of some really interesting meetings. And I felt very honored to get to be a part of this community. I had no idea what it was. And when I was asked to apply to, to look at joining, I did so out of kind of awe and respect and through that got to you know be in rooms with people like Tony Blair and Carlos Slim and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and T Boone Pickens and all these just you know crazy past presidents and Bill Clinton and learn a lot from these people and it opened my eyes up to a new level of the world where at some level there's so much money moving around and people trying to really empower other individuals to chase their dreams and yet there was this major disconnect between all this capital, all these great visionary people, and then you had the culture on the other side of the humans who felt so disconnected from it. And it became blatantly clear during the Occupy movement. And that was really the, the impetus of Innovation Collective. I didn't know what to call it then, but it was a moment where I was going into the global conference that year and people were picketing and screaming and I'm looking at them, you know, I'm not much of a suit and tie kind of private equity guy. I'm an entrepreneur and realizing I'm more like you guys than this room. And I grew up in small town, Idaho, and like, stop screaming at me. I'd love to help you. Like, can we be friends? And if you know me, like, I just want to be your friend. Like, let's be friends. And they're mad. And like, you're the idiots who ruin the world. And from there, I realized if there was a way to connect both the 99% and the 1% in a meaningful way where the 1% are already allocating trillions of dollars to try and make a difference through foundations and through grants and through all of these other mechanisms, tax policies, government. If there's truly a way to connect them to the 99% and get the 99% who feel disconnected and feel like the 1% or the government doesn't care about them, but connect them in a meaningful way where they came up with really valuable ideas and they could become, uh, I guess, uh, symbiotic in a healthy way. We could rethink capitalism in a, um, in a new way. And so that started this idea of like, all right, how do you take a town that's fallen behind economically? And what's the system? What's the model to help that 99% rise up and give people a clear pathway to what we would call inclusive capitalism and conscious capitalism? So... That's what started it. So what were some of the first things you did? Once, I mean, you have this crazy idea. Yeah. Uh, did you move back to Idaho? Mm, I did. At first, I just wrote a lot about, all right, 
why does my life work this way and what happened for me? My life's not perfect um, by no stretch of the mind. We all have pretty messed up lives somewhere along the way and we're all struggling to get through this world step by step. But I had experienced success and got to be a part of interesting meetings and watch my dreams happen at times. And it was an uncommon experience, I felt. And so I looked at what did happen in my life and how could I programatize key things that I thought were important. And so I came up with a a, a theory on a system based on what I knew about other startup ecosystems that I had seen in Philadelphia when I lived there in Los Angeles at Silicon Beach. I spoke at the first Silicon Beach Fest. Um, was a part of Philly Tech Meetup and the whole Wharton crew out there and some of the New York Tech and really tried to see what was good out of those and mirror it off of what did I experience in my life and um, how do we make a model out of it. So came up with a theory and moved back to Idaho and started testing it here. I, I want to stop here because I think that's super, super important. Okay. Because I think one of the things that you and I both have in common, um, very, very different backgrounds, very, very different families, grew up in different parts of the country even. Uh, but I always felt, and it had even less to do with my religious upbringing than it did to do with what, how I was raised by my parents. Mm-hmm. I was destined for greatness. <laughs> I, that I, I was going to do something special. And, and there was, that was even never even defined for me as a kid. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I think it's super important because everybody I've ever met who are super successful, who are chasing their dreams, regardless of your definition of success, people would consider themselves successful, yeah. um, always have this sense of, I was made for something special. And, and, and they may not even, either that or they're crazy. They're sure. just either batshit crazy or they're just, and, and they're super obsessive. And I, you know, you can put a lot of famous entrepreneurs in that category, people who are, you know, yep. who are just crazy as, as all get out, but they just chase their dreams and, and they won't stop because they don't know any better right. than to stop. Right. But then there's this other group, which are, they just always felt like they were made for something special and they're gonna build on it and they won't stop until they build whatever it is that they wanna build. Systematizing that seems nearly impossible. So hmm. tell me how you came to the conclusion that you even could systematize something like that. Yeah. Because I was made for something special. No. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of that came from, you, you want to know my real authentic answer to that is when I worked with churches and with schools, I was very dissatisfied with how the model worked to help students pursue a life, a higher quality life. And to back into that, uh, a good story is that I pushed really hard to start a program where we would have someone who's in their 20s or 30s that was managed by the counselor's office in a school district or in a school. But that person was called the student advocate. And their only job was to maintain a team of volunteers that would come to dances and come to the schools, that would hang out in the classrooms, in the lunchroom, at the lunch tables, that would get to know the students, assistant coach, do whatever and just be there. Didn't even have an office because we didn't want them to have an office. We wanted to be in the school and their only goal was, how can I help every student? How can I care about you? And the things that they would find out about kids with cancer, parents who just died, and things that the school had no idea about mm-hmm. was off the charts. And it was just such a simple adjustment of a part-time role. And it caused me to look at the whole system that we would embrace for churches, for schools, for any model and ask the question of where have we missed the heart by trying to maintain efficiency? And 
uh, is it okay to sometimes not have all the answers to really get to that meaty, soupy center of what the goal is and experiment and throw that spaghetti at the wall to try and have the impact? And maybe that's my entrepreneurial spirit, but um, it gave me that confidence as I watched things like that happen. When I was 21, I took 67 high school kids to Tanzania <laughs> with other adults who were chaperoned, but I, I led the trip. And I look at that and, you know, A, I asked the question, who let me do that? And that was insane. <laughs> but B, more significant was I watched 14, 15, 16-year-olds who led teams and made significant decisions impacting NGOs and other orphanages and hospitals and running teams that these kids were running these decisions on. And it helped me see that accepting the norm isn't always um, the standard. We don't have to. Uh, so when I saw Occupy Movement, my eyes lit up, and as crazy as that may sound, I was like, oh, buddy, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. There's angry humans, and if we can like, get that anger channeled in a way that like they can learn and help each other and ask for help, and like people can connect and mentor them, do you know what could come out of that? And it was like, let's systematize that. <laughs> and so I only knew my own life experience, right? And so I started to try and break it down and was like, well, why do I think that I can partner with Virgin America? And then I did that with my, my startup and got kissed by Richard Branson and like, you know, on a flight and it, because I was making fun of him for kissing all the stewardesses in a photo shoot. And then he kisses me. And it's like, I learned that skill somewhere, like mm -hmm. to be social like that and interact that way and mm -hmm. like set a goal and find a way to accomplish that goal in a way that isn't rude to the other company and like help them win awards and cited our software integrations together as reasons why they won those awards. And I wanted to understand how can I give that as a gift to someone who's pissed off in a tent who actually got just shit on by society. Because that's true. That happens. There's some people who are in the tents that were like, ah, get on the bandwagon and like stick it to the man, grab my banjo or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know. But um, but then there's really good people in there that like they, they didn't deserve to be there. And life does suck sometimes. And the machine's a bit off. Capitalism is a bit wobbly. We didn't expect for the internet. We didn't expect for airplanes. We didn't expect for railroads. We didn't expect for shipping. And as that hit, along now with automation, artificial intelligence, self-driving cars. We've got to acknowledge that something's got to be rethought a bit. I don't think it is a full, you know, throw the baby out in the bathwater, but I do think there needs to be a sensitivity towards what we can do next. Um, so I saw Occupy as an opportunity and why I thought I could systematize it really comes down to my experiments with teenagers and watching how they did incredible things when I came up with a better model. And um, so then start to unpack that for other humans of like, right, how did it happen in my life? This is really important because uh, I ran an experiment a couple weeks ago with um, a gentleman who uh, is on our team and he's a super introverted person. And I just challenged him one day. I go, you know, that's, that's a decision that you make. He goes, no, no, that's just your personality. I'm like, no, you can choose it. When I was a kid, I was actually very quiet. I was not outgoing. I wasn't extroverted. I was introverted. And as an adult, anyone who knows me would think I'm the most extroverted person on the face of the earth. Like you and I like would be on parallel as far as like extroversion goes mm -hmm. to most people's minds. I wasn't always that way. I chose to be that way in middle school yeah. because I learned how to like, I chase girls. And if the more extroverted I was, the easier it was to chase girls because I, I wasn't the best looking. I wasn't the most talented, but I could be really funny and outgoing and it got their attention. Uh, and so there's a lot of these things when we start challenging people's thinking that the, 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 
the diamond starts to emerge from the rough right. as they see it. And I've watched it happen, even this experiment I did with him. Um, this guy's now becoming this like really good salesperson and really outgoing extroverted person and getting and not being exhausted at the end of the day even doing it uh, because he's building up that tolerance. And so I think challenging conventional thinking um, is something that most people would say, oh, that can't be done. Even mm -hmm. my question about can you systematize it? Uh, but But the more that we start... Listen, we got here because nobody's challenging conventional thinking. Right, right. And, and it's, we all operate in thought loops, all of us. And either we love our thought loops and it's producing things that make us happy and comfortable, or we despise our thought loops and we're still comfortable in our like destitute state. And these loops are belief systems about my identity, my place in life, my relationships, and it is a bit crazy when you think about that is who you are. And you can snap those thought loops at any time if you really wanted to. And, and that, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it takes effort oh, yeah. and it takes community and it takes accountability and it takes vulnerability. But that's what we've systematized and, and kept religion out of it, kept politics out of it and made it about human capital, human potential. And we've become this weird education company that's, you know, looking at what softwares, what events, what um, rhythm should we create in a city that starts to unlock this magic in humanity, this potential that everyone has that's dormant. I, I sat and talked with two homeless guys um, two days ago in Washington State. I don't I didn't tell you the story <laughs> no. yet. It was awesome. So I'm walking around one of our, our new properties we partnered on, and we have a, we're starting Innovation Collective in Spokane, Washington. We have uh, an innovation collective community in Yakima, Washington already, two in Washington State, one in Nevada, um, five in Idaho. We've got them uh, back on the East Coast and all over. But I'm there and I'm smoking a cigar because if you know me, I like cigars. Um, and these two homeless guys are like gathering cigarettes and I've got my phone out and the guy's like, you like your cigar? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. And it's like, I, I love my usually, you know, I'll smoke one or two a week. And fast forward, as we're talking, um, we're talking about underutilized real estate because, you know, that's what I love to look at. That's what homeless guys normally bring up. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, exactly. Because, like, they look at places that are not being utilized well and they're like, I will sleep there. <laughs> so they're the masters at utilizing underutilized real estate. <laughs> yes, they are. They are developers um, through and through. They are the original WeWork. Um, so, uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, as we're talking, this this conversation rolls in this really neat time of um, just talking about potential and community potential, and they're honest. And this guy's like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I've been struggling on opioids. I'm on drugs," and starts telling me a story, and we start talking about potential and community and human potential, and look through accountability. This sounds kind of woodly doodly, but it's like, man, you have something still to give to the world. Like the only failure in life is killing yourself. Like so, don't die. And until that point, like, keep grinding, dude. You're going to make your fits and starts, but there will be a community of people who are hanging out in this little space right here at this building starting on July 17th as our first event. Show up. Email mm -hmm. me. Do you have any emails? Like, yes. And I was like, cool, it's email. He's on our MailChimp email list now. That's amazing. And this is a dude who's, like, in a methadone clinic, struggling with opioids, can't keep a job, knows that's why, and believes he has a lot to give to the world, loves to garden. And I was like, man, we're talking through like job strategies. And as he left, he was like, just said thank you. And it's like, all right, how many times do we avoid the homeless person or don't look him in the eye? Mm -hmm. And how many of them have an incredible gift that we're, we're somehow shunning? So we need systems 
that don't just give them food, don't just give them healthcare. Those are great. They already exist, right? But we need a system that says, hey, what do you dream about? And how can we get you hooked up to like training and things and tools you need so you can go shoot the moon or, or chase your dreams? So, you know, that's what we started to package up, which is now 70 events per year and two different proprietary softwares that we deploy in each city and a whole model around turning a town into a venture studio, in essence, for a whole industry. You know, pet city, fan city for sports, health and health and sports city, robotics and AI city, outdoor pursuit city, aging city, and uh, time and logistics city. Each of these towns is a different vertical, and all these citizens start to innovate and create together for the benefit of that whole industry, and they become the global leaders in confidence and nonsense for the whole industry. They're the R&D lab. Um, so I think that homeless guy is a seat at the table and we've created the package, the model to do that for cities. So take me through the, give us the, the quick rundown of that system. What does that system look like? You've already you know, kind of alluded to some of the events and those kind of things, but give us the like two minute, not yeah. the 20 minute version, but the two minute version of what totally. does that system, systematized process look like? Yeah, it's um, about six months of storytelling nights that give confidence to the citizens. It is idea sharing sessions that happen two times a month eventually as a bolt on to that that are all open to the public and free. Wine, beer, coffee, soda, water, gathering points for the town to come and dream again and hear positive stories. We flight those in the newspapers. From there, we launch this whole leadership training package, which is softwares that help them make better decisions about their life choices, but they get to choose who they want to be. We don't tell them who they should be. It is them choosing that. And then these softwares guide choices to help them accomplish their dream. Uh, we have another software that's about learning skills from each other that we're in development of. And then we do quarterly summits and we fly in experts to that town in a once a year giant festival that is around the creativity, the innovation, the education that's happening in the town for that vertical and a think tank from the industry experts that come to that city. All while that's happening, uh, kind of in the back office of our headquarters, we're working with the Fortune 1000, connecting the dots for them, saying this town, these people, this school, they are going to be the world leaders. And sure enough, it's what happens. They start to produce and we match make venture deals, corp dev investments. We uh, work with real estate developers to create better placemaking. That's work, live, play, learn, create facilities. Um, and th through that, really, it's a reimagine reimagining of the town's resources of community college, K-12, uh, the Department of Labor, Department of Commerce. And how can we all work together for higher output? We're not here to compete with that. We're here to um, kind of set a new vision and add new resources to, uh, to that layer. So when you talk about placemaking, you talk about these events, like none of those events sound on the surface to be... Anything's not going on in other places as well. I mean, there's storytelling nights all over the country. Sure. There's, you know, places where people can masterminds and those kind of things where people yep. can share ideas. What is different about this than those different events that are going on around the country uh, in the sense that, like, like if I lived in, in San Jose right now, I could go to all those kind of events. Uh, so why is this different? Right. So I would say a few things. One, it's very purposeful that there is an intent to every single meeting, gathering, party, person we're flying in and out of the city, books we choose for the community that has a specific output that complements an industry, which sounds controlling, but instead all it's doing is putting up guardrails for a town and saying, you don't have to play inside these, but if you want to stay in this wind tunnel, it's gonna suck you like a vacuum tube down to the other end quicker. So that is one thing is the intent. The other part is inclusivity, that we go and we pursue like dog on bone, just 
everyone that makes up the town, the senior citizens, the K-12 schools, the community college, Department of Labor, United Way, and we say, come, come play, come play, come play. Like, you're, you belong here. This is about the, your dreams. This is about human potential, human flourishing. And so it's not your typical, um, you know, let's invite an author in to the Commonwealth Club to speak in San Francisco and you buy a $200 ticket. It is, let's interview somebody who built and has run the grocery store in town for 50 years as a family. And let's hear their stories of running that and you're all gonna get free beers, come on out. Uh, And we focus on a a specific community size of a region of a town. So in San Jose or in like in Oakland, we would do, you know, a community inside of Oakland, 100 to 250,000 people. Uh, We don't believe that you can serve the whole population. I think you can hide too easily from that and disappear too quickly. And we need real relationship, real community, real connectivity. So I think that's, it's really, it's inclusivity and the intentionality of the whole process. Tell me the story about Kenny, because I think this um, epitomizes that, going after like dog on bone, the the average everybody, the everyman. Yeah, yeah. So um, that is a great one to really hit on and and kind of focus in, you know, this human potential piece. Because he was in our robotics and artificial intelligence city and showed up at one of our events, again, Coffee and Concepts. And how it works in Coffee and Concepts, and we'll, we'll train anybody on how to do it, by the way. You can become one of our partners and start it in your town. But it, um, it, it basically is we talk about who you are and why you showed up at 7.30 in the morning on the first or third Wednesday of the month because you're weird that you woke up. And, and by the way, so people understand, in a town of um, you know 57,000 people, how many are we getting on a Wednesday morning? 100 150 people show up and that's not abnormal that's happening in all the other cities like they're packed rooms Mm -hmm. coffee shops are overflowing people are sharing ideas but it's like you go around the room and you say why why you woke up to be there very quickly and then um from there you talk about tech news that's happened in the last two weeks because it happens every two weeks so it's like a human rss feed and lets you see areas of interest for other people who are redefining their identity some people um they maybe work as a dishwasher at night. But when they're at Coffee and Concepts, they're a data science nerd. And they're gonna tell you about all the data science breakthroughs that happened in the last two weeks. And they're gonna raise their hand and they're gonna tell you about the coolest thing they read in their newsfeed, on their RSS feed and whatever it is. And now in that room, everyone's going, oh my gosh, that person, you know, Joe, in honor of you, Robert Scoble, Joey Bag of Donuts, Joey Bag of Donuts, you are a data scientist. And really, he's a dishwasher. It's his identity by job. But everyone in that room is like, no, no, no. Joey knows data science. So it l- allows people to try on things they love and to become that regional, local expert. Next phase is concepts. So we tell them about here are the events coming up in the local community. If we have a fireside chat or a summit or you know whatever else, an Inspire program, which is our, our curriculum trainings for new skill sets. Uh, and then we say, who's got something they're working on? So here's Ken, right? Ken raises his hand. We go, Ken, what are you working on? He says, well, I think I can extrude composites using UV curing resins into free space and like starts explaining all this. And it is literally just flying right over the top of my head. <laughs> Ken um, is, was a woodworker and has self-diagnosed sparkle brain, which is like his brain is always popping with great new ideas. And Ken had you know, worked on other tech startups before and, but was like working on building boats and doing different things like that. And I remember listening to him speak and I was like, all right, Ken, 
what can you make that I care about or what could you make if this was real? Because it wasn't even real. It wasn't even a company, no patents, no LLC, nothing. And he's like sharing his idea of what he thinks. And, uh, and he goes, I think I could print a custom fit carbon fiber or Kevlar Batman suit. And then I could like destroy it all and reprint it. I was like, that sounds awesome. What do you need to make me one of those? <laughs> and like, that's literally the conversation in a room full of people. And he's like, I need a motion control expert. And we're like, who knows a motion control expert? And then someone's like, I do. There's one that works at this shop. Let's go. And then like, like leave. And like, they run out of the room, like, and they're off. Right. And then he gets a job there working in the shop, like part-time getting to work on his like crazy Batman suit idea, part-time just kind of making the shop maintain and run and go. Fast forward a few years, he's worked with the people who created the portable IMAX camera. This patented idea that he's created has now gone on to be printing significant parts for the aerospace industry and for the uh, automobile industry for all of the autonomous vehicles. And like they've printed carbon fiber and Kevlar into free space without an autoclave, are printing airfoils, are embedding copper wiring, fiber optics, game changer of a company. Game changer. And it came out of this moment of just another human being like, I've got this idea trapped inside of me and I need to let it out. And then he lets it out. And now it was in the community and everyone's like, let's help. And that's the culture we create. Um, you know, there's so many great resources in the town. It's just, do you have a system that is the front door for anybody to feel safe, for anybody to feel like this is my American dream factory. I can come here and someone will help me. So it's more than, than the system. There's a culture that becomes key in this. Absolutely. The events without the culture are tone deaf. A good example is we're hosting a 5G um, <laughs> town hall. We host town halls once in a while. If there's ever something crazy happening in the world and everyone wants to talk about it, we'll host a town hall. What those are is we take over a pub, crush it with humans. Like fire marshal may want to turn his eye and like look away because there's so many people in these pubs. And we have people standing on top of the bars and we'll talk about things like Bitcoin and like financial managers show up and like hippies and people from the woods who are like digging up their gold bags and like, can I buy Bitcoin with the, the gold from my hills? And, and it's like, that's the kind of environment we create. And then we like, we're shouting and going back and forth and laughing and people are drinking a beer and cheersing each other. And it's like the old world of like good old America. We're scrappy and like curious, right? And um, back to culture, this 5G town hall we're doing is like people are very excited and concerned about 5G, right? Mm -hmm. So we have some former C-suite executives coming in from like T-Mobile, some execs from AT&T, and they're gonna talk about in the telco industry like 5G and what's happening with it. Like, will it cook your fetuses if you stand in a direct ray of 5G? Because that's a concern some people have. I don't know if it will or won't. I'm going to let these guys answer it. But we're also trying to get like a homeopathic doctor there because I'd love to watch them all talk about that. Mm -hmm. That would be awesome. But the main thing about the culture that we do that's incredible is this is at a pub where everyone's going to be having beers and cheersing each other and like shouting questions back and forth at C-suite executives from Formula Tell them about the contest. And we're going to be doing a who has the best tinfoil hat contest for whomever has the best tinfoil hat, you win a gift certificate to the pub. And that's the culture, right? Like it is being lighthearted, being a community. It's like economic development corporation meets karaoke trivia night at a bar. Like that is innovation collective. It's, it is, we're an education company launching some of the most, in my opinion, interesting softwares that transform a town, events that transform a town, and we're partnering with developers and venture capitalists and corporations to identify incredible innovations and truly change the world. So it's, um, yeah, we're different, we're weird, 
but we are coming for you. Like we will have parties all over the world all the time. Like, so, so where do you see us going? Where's Innovation Collective going? What does this look like a year, two, five years from now? And, and how does this like, if we're coming, yeah. what does that look like? And what will people see? How will they know that it's coming? Yeah, a year, two, or five years from now. Which one? Yes, okay. all three. So one year from now, like 12 months from right now. Yes. Okay. We're at nine cities, and I think we have about 16 more in the pipeline that we're in the works with. So I think we will be, in a year from now, about 30 to 50 cities across the world that are running our event series. It'll be in hotels. It'll be in bars. It'll be in coffee shops. Some of them will have their own buildings. Um, some will have seed funds that work with us in those towns. We'll have our growth fund. Um, you'll see each of these cities with a distinct economy that is like you will be the future of hair. Because like think about hair, right? It's software. It's hardware. It's chemicals. It's um, fashion. It's Instagram. It's media. And like what if a town became the future of hair? I love that idea. Because it's like how much money do we spend on hair? Massive amounts. Mm-hmm. Tell me where the world leading innovation lab of hair is. You don't know. Right. But I'm going to bring it to you. And it's going to be Hairtown, where everyone there is going to have the craziest, coolest hair, and all the innovations will be happening. It, they will be the Bill Bowermans of hair. <laughs> Bill Bowerman is a guy at, who was at Nike taking rubber and a waffle iron and making the best shoes in the world to change everything with a waffle iron. And now has built this empire called Nike, along with Phil Knight and the others. Like, I will have the Bill Bowerman of hair that none of you know yet. And that person is going to wake up and go, I can do this. And guess what? They're going to show up to our events. They're going to come alive. They're going to be happy. They're going to employ people in that town. And we will know about it first. And we will connect them to the Jean Juarez de Paul, like of whatever fancy name, like I'll cut your hair at a spa, whatever. And they're going to pay that guy millions of dollars for his innovations or that girl, millions of dollars for her innovations. And like, that's where we are in a year. Like you're in a hair town, pet town, fan town, um, whatever chemical town or shipping town or logistics town or aerospace or airport or shopping mall town, all these things, right? Shoe town. As we do that, we'll be at about 50 cities in a year. Uh, two years from now, say 150. Because uh, I plan on this thing going fast. There's a model for us to do it where there's no investment in a town and people can start running our model if we believe you're a good person. And there's a way to revenue for everyone, which leads to placemaking and real estate leasing and management and a really cool model there and then venture capital. Then there's other ones where cities are paying us now to come in and, and like we are giving them full community potential assessments and a roadmap. Um, I think we'll have probably 25 to 30 of those in two years of cities that are full deployments with us. Mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of real estate deals. Um, I think people are realizing that mentorship and accountability and economic opportunity are incredible amenities for a property. Most people think pools and schools and grocery stores nearby, that's the amenity everyone wants. Lies. You give people real community and real accountability and real opportunity to be mentored and like they will pay a premium and they will go nowhere. They want to be in that community. So I think that is an awakening that's happening through some of our work that's creating these highly occupied properties quickly. Um, so we'll see more of those real estate developments with partners. Um, and I think our investments um, will be recognized as some of the most significant industry shifting investments coming out of, you know, quote unquote, the heartland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the IRR will continue to shock individuals. We're already watching great returns coming out of these deals that are growing nicely. 
Um, but I think two years in, people will be jaw on the floor. Uh, I think similar to how they're starting to feel about Steve Case and the Rise of the Rest Fund. Uh, a lot of people know about his work because he's doing a great job in D.C. He's a billionaire. Um, but, you know, from our side, like we're in these communities 365 days a year and we're creating the infrastructure that people can move freely back and forth and you find the same culture everywhere and the deal flow flows freely to different cities based on industry vertical focus and mentorship. Five years from now, we are the new Chamber of Commerce. And I say that um, not in a flippant way to kind of say poo-poo to the Chamber, but I think the Chamber serves a great role in the belly-to-belly commerce world. And I think they serve an incredible role in helping establish a lot of the um, pre-knowledge economy industries. I believe deeply that they have missed the knowledge economy. And they can try and turn the ship, but I think that is a fool's errand. Stay the course and don't hit the iceberg. Let something new happen. Serve the purpose you serve. Maintain the local commerce structure. Maintain that political alignment and keep doing that so incredibly well. But there needs to be something for that person who's like, I want to build a drone infrastructure that can be used nationally to be paired with 911 phone calls. Go ask your Chamber of Commerce president about that and see how that goes. <laughs> like maybe they could make an introduction to the local fire chief, which is cool. But that's not going to cut it, right? They need venture capital. They need to understand you know, back-end um, deployment softwares and the like, task management softwares and all these things. And that, that's a whole different type of thinking. Um, could they learn it? Probably. And, and could they come after Innovation Collective and go, we will be the new Innovation Collective or we will you know, serve the knowledge economy? Cool. I think they're great. Um, but I think smaller communities need a different solution. So five years from now, I think that is who we hopefully become which are these centers of education and learning and events and softwares that are inspiring humans who have many of them probably in five years have lost their jobs to become the innovation engines for big brands and that the new form of work the future of work is not necessarily being a full-time employee it might be some form of i am a hired innovator I create art, I create software, I create hardware, I create crazy ideas for an industry, and I am being given grants to create in this space. Uh, right now, you look at people creating for brands currently for free. Look at social media. So I think a weird world is coming, what the future work looks like. I believe we're better off instead of higher taxation on corporations that gets mass distributed by the governments. I think I'd love, personally, I would love to see corporations have the option to pick a region create a blind trust and put capital into that that is freely distributed through an algorithm to citizens who apply for being creators around the vertical that that blind trust is created for. So back to Hairtown, every major, you know, uh, cost cutter, hair cutter, whatever, super cuts, chains, pay the higher taxation or pick a city that you're like, this is Hairtown and we're all going to participate in this group blind trust and senior citizens can apply for tier one grants and then tier two, tier three, tier four, tier five, based on what you've produced, if you've ever created value, um, different levels, but it incentivizes people to still make and uh, gives a better model to what I think allows capitalism to still flourish with profitability with a creative option. So if people are listening today and they're like, hey, this sounds amazing, sign me up, how would they do that? Smoke signals. That's the best way. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Start a fire in your backyard. Cool. No. Um, info at innovationcollective.co 
or go to innovationcollective.co uh, and you will find links on there that can ask for more information. Um, we have a lot of hidden pages that explain a lot of what we've discussed. We've had some big companies ask like, your website's a bit misleading about what you actually do. That's on purpose. Um, we, we like to talk about what we're doing and build relationships with people versus people kind of view it from a distance. So email us there. Um, or follow us on Facebook. You can find us there. You can find Chris on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. A lot of our staff, LinkedIn, Instagram, Nicholas Smoot, um, Nick Smoot on Facebook. Um, but just hunt us down and send us a message. And we don't know what this podcast is going to be called. Uh, what have we talked about? All sorts of things. American Dream Factory. American Dream Factory. ADF. I don't know. We'll come up with a name for it, though. But it's going to have a name probably by the time it ships. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Either way, we'll have it yeah. for it eventually. Oh, and we're going to have a live event coming up. Like, this is, it sounds funny to say that because, like, this is our first non live event. Because um, we do. Because we don't even stream our events. No, on purpose. We keep all our events in the room. By the way, that's my favorite thing when people go, man, I couldn't be there. Do you guys ever stream those? I'm like, no, you got to be there. Sorry. Right. And then they're like, but, but, but. And I'm like, I know you got to come. You know where I stole that from? Huh. It's those Budweiser pop-up nights they used to do where like they would bring in some crazy musician and do like a secret concert that no one in town knew about. Mm -hmm. And they'd bring in like Jay-Z, Bud Light night, bleh, whatever. Um, and, and it's like 10, you know, 100 people get to go see Jay-Z in the middle of some crazy town that no one knew about that night. And I think there's something special about that. Like you've got to be in the room to consume certain types of the content mm -hmm. and have that connectivity with other humans because loneliness is crushing our country. And we've gone from becoming this land of opportunity, which I think comes through relationship and understanding other people to a land of opposites because we're so easy to be distant from each other. So one of our live events though is a Think Big Festival that if you're hearing about this, each of our cities, we host a Think Big Festival, which is a about a three-day event. It's a think tank with industry experts. It's a hands-on tech fair that showcases that vertical's cool breakthroughs of the year. Everyone can come out and play with it, a concert. Then we have speakers where a lot of the think tank folks will speak for the day. And then we have a pub crawl to all the different little interesting startups happening in the towns. And September 19th, 20th, and 21st, we'll be having ours here in the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho um, location, which is our most mature city, and it's our robotics and AI one. We'll have Niantic here, which is Pokemon Go and Harry Potter. We'll have some folks who helped create TensorFlow at Google. We'll have you know Esther Wojcicki, who has she has birthed and mothered two of the most successful self-made females in the world, and is known as the godmother of Silicon Valley in education. And that's like three of. I don't know, like 30 different speakers that are coming here around like robotics and AI. It should be fun, self-driving cars and drones. Um, but a great time to see like how the sausage is made. Like, what do we do? And if you're really curious and you're like, I want this in my town, we're actually hosting a city summit um, on the 18th and 19th. And then 19, 20, 21, the festival kind of bleeds into that. And it's uh, going through our playbook and us creating customized playbooks with cities. We're only going to allow for 30 seats at that. Um, it should be a great time. So a couple live events. You can come meet us. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. We'll uh, see you next time then on the next episode of whatever we're going to call the Innovation Collective podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out, you can email us at innovationcollective.co. That's innovationcollective.co, not 
www.innovationcollectivecollective.com. We'll see you next time on the next episode of the Innovation Collective Podcast.